Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. So I think maybe as a kid I had heard of the Negro Motorist Green Book, but it never really came up until that movie came out back in 2018, which ended up being pretty controversial for a few reasons. Now, one of my favorite books turned film, Lovecraft Country, depicted the Green Book pretty well, and it had me thinking I really knew a lot. Until I went up to the Illinois Holocaust Museum in Skokie to see an installation about it. Listen here. You might be on the road where it ain't safe to pull over for any reason, even to use the bathroom. Our son Clarence, he used this on his last trip. It's called the Green Book. It tells you safe places we can stop. Restaurants, motels. Take a look and see for yourself. That's audio from an interactive map in the installation. It also has actual pages from the Green Book, some history on how and why it was published, and some of the Chicago businesses that were featured over the years, including some spots that are still standing. Today, I'm talking to the museum's chief curator of collections and exhibitions, Arielle Weininger. She really does a lovely job of walking folks through the story of the exhibit, starting with what happens when you press play on the exhibit's interactive map. You open the trunk of your car. And you see the essential elements that you need to put into the trunk to make it so you have a safe and comfortable journey. So blankets and a pillow in case you have to sleep in the car because there's no hotel or motel that you can stop at. A cooler full of food so that you wouldn't have to face an indignity going to the back door of a restaurant. What the visitor gets to do is see how they're treated when they stop at a Green Book site and how they're treated when they stop at a site that is unfamiliar to them. To think about facing some of this uncertainty and and even violence as you're just trying to go visit family, it's quite frightening, even in just these little movies that you know were just made for this purpose. And so I think it's really eye-opening for a lot of visitors. So orient me around the Green Book. How was it first published and circulated? So the Green Book was published beginning in 1936. It ran until 1967. It was published by a man named Victor Hugo Green, which is how it gets its name, the Green Book. <laughs> and it was a it was a guidebook for Black consumers, um, travelers, and it, it really aided in the safety of Black Americans as they traveled across the country. Because Victor Green was a postal carrier, he kind of used other Black postal carriers to be his agents out in the field. As they delivered the mail, they would go to different businesses and see um, if they were welcoming places for Black clientele, and they would report back to Victor Green. He then would solicit the businesses. He would send them letters. There's actually a letter in the exhibition, an original letter from Victor Green to a business soliciting them to advertise in, in the Green Book. So one of the ways that the um, Green Book gets out there is it's sent to people. And these mail carriers are, are essential in that part of the story. The other is that ESSO, Standard Oil, which today is ExxonMobil, was very forward thinking in the employment of Black Americans at all levels of the business. So 
SO had franchises that were owned by Black Americans and many wow. service people that were employed there. Okay. So SO becomes the one of the main retailers of the Green Book. They sold them at the SO stations oh, so that travelers would um, buy them there and then use them to travel. And of course, it worked well for SO too, because all of these uh, Black Americans who are now traveling around the country are stopping at SO stations because they know that they will be treated with respect mm. if they stop at that station. Mm-hmm. And then much of what I've heard and learned about the Green Book before visiting the installation is that it was a list-oriented, kind of like directory or an index. But the content was a lot more than that, right? Yeah. In each annual issue, Victor Green would put in sort of some introductory stories. He often wrote little tales about different businesses, different locations. So actually in 1949 is when Chicago was featured Mm. in a multi-page spread and the story itself was not so much about the businesses that you could go to. It really was about actually visiting a lot of the tourist sites downtown and on the south side. The museums, the ballparks, different places that travelers would be welcome. And he actually was trying to encourage people to go. Um, Victor Green was really an optimist. There's really nothing ever negative within the Green Book. It's always on the mm. positive. So where you could go to Black businesses and support them, where you could go to other businesses that were um, available to Black Americans. He really was looking for the positive side of what was a very serious and horrible situation of segregation and oppression in the United States under Jim Crow. A lot of that that positive side comes through um, with the exhibit as well. I noticed there was a, a really beautiful focus not only on segregation and, and the reasoning for the Green Book, but also some of that Black joy, right? People who really were on vacation, they're enjoying themselves, they're going throughout um, the country, living life. Yeah, there was very much an emphasis on that, all the way from Ken Dacey Taylor, who's the author of the book on which this exhibition is based to the developers of the exhibition at Smithsonian, to even the exhibit designer. They wanted to show these two sides. They wanted to show the reality of Jim Crow America. So there are you know, signs that are the signs that you would see as you entered a, a sundown town. There is a sign of, of the KKK. But what's more prominent throughout the exhibition are these very large photographs of Black families, Black groups of friends, uh, lovers, uh, going to the beach, going to extraordinarily fancy restaurants and dance halls. And that Black joy is so evident in in the exhibition. That was really lovely to see. The whole exhibit is outstanding. (laughs) On the other hand, the, the Green Book and this type of content is not something I would think about when I think about a Holocaust museum. Um, And I'm curious um, if you could tell me how the exhibition ended up there. Sure. So the Illinois Holocaust Museum, of course, begins with and always focuses on the history of the Holocaust and teaching people about the Holocaust. But because of the Holocaust, it is part of our mission to educate on other issues of genocide, social justice, human rights atrocities. And so that's why we highlight not only certain Holocaust stories, Mm -hmm. but we also go wider into these other issues of social justice. And so that's exactly where the Green Book fits into what we do at the museum. Okay, that's 
Beautiful. I'm curious, though, are there any intersections between the Green Book and Jewish history in the U.S.? So it is believed that Victor Hugo Green had a Jewish friend who had a similar guidebook that was published in 1916 for Jewish travelers to go into the Catskills and be able to find hotels and accommodation and also kosher food when they traveled Hmm. to be able to locate those those places. And so it may have been that this is where uh, Green got the idea for the Green Book. Um, but it's, again, not specifically known. But so, so yeah, there is that interesting intersection of, of a Jewish traveler's guide and a, a Black American's traveler's guide. You know, it's, it's interesting when I think about this. I mean, there's an Instagram profile that I follow. I can't remember the name of it right now. But, um, yeah, it focuses on, like, international travel um, for Black folks. You know, like, if you're going here, if you're going there, these are the things that you might come across. This is what Black people are doing when they're traveling internationally. Um, these are places that you would think because maybe they're on the continent of Africa or they're in certain places that would be welcoming, um, but maybe you're not. There's one that I follow that's like about women, <laughs> you know, like this is a place, you know, this type of country, you need to wear this. So it's interesting how a lot of this like permeates history because of the conditions that kind of still also permeate. Yeah, I mean, everyone, whether you're a, a single woman or if you have a family and you want to know, yeah. everyone wants to travel and go to places that are welcoming and accepting. Yeah. In light of Women's History Month, I know that there's a component of the of the exhibition that focuses on women-owned businesses in the in the book. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So actually, a large percentage of the businesses that were listed in the Green Book were women-owned. So not only, you know, there's Madam C.J. Walker, who, of course, had a whole floor of the South Central Department store that was located at 47th and South Parkway, which is today Martin Luther King Drive. But also, you have to think about the travelers' homes. So these were basically bed and breakfasts uh, Hmm. across the country where you would have your home and you would let out a room or two And most all of those businesses were owned by women who had opened up their homes and were running this kind of bed and breakfast to welcome Black travelers. Yeah. Could you talk about some of the locations in the Green Book where they were mostly in Chicago during that time? Many of them were centralized at 47th and South Parkway, which is MLK today. 35th and State was also another big hub. But really, the whole community of Bronzeville, which is, as we know today, a a historic district because of this Black metropolis were there. And and in fact, 47th Street and MLK was, it rivaled only to Harlem's 125th Street. It was one of the busiest, if not, they've said, the busiest Black business area in the United States at the time. So um, these really were were, thriving um, centers of commerce and of business and of nightlife that ultimately when the Civil Rights Act is passed in 1964, it greatly affects a lot of these businesses. The community is now able to go into businesses um, where they previously could not. So money is not being spent just within the community. It's getting um, spread in in a larger field. So that's unfortunately part of the story as to why these businesses aren't extant today um, today, there's about 30 buildings of the 200 businesses that are still standing, but there's really only two businesses that are left from the time of the Green Book till today. Wow. 
you know, there was a quote in the exhibition, too, that um, really hit me, um, which is we got what we wanted, but we lost what we had, which um, is really what you're speaking about. Right. How, yeah. you know, there were all these businesses that were open to black folks. But after, you know, years and, and years of, of trying to desegregate, um, you know, you get that. No, that was that was what we wanted. But what about the businesses that were catering to black folks and that existed because of segregation? Yes. And there are also other issues that cause some of the decline of these areas. You know, certainly the highway project, the highway the, Act, you know, yeah. you know destroyed mm-hmm. these communities just when, you know, if we look at Chicago, UIC destroys a lot of the near west side, which were a variety of different ethnic communities those communities are broken up and and it's difficult to rebuild. Yes. But, you know, what what is wonderful is, you know, like the national recognition of Bronzeville, I think that um, brings attention to the neighborhood. Bronzeville, again, is, I think, going through uh, a time period of of new businesses opening and and thriving. And I think that it's, it's great to learn the history that was there so that one can, you know, build off of that history and build back the community. Yeah. So what ultimately happened to the Green Book's circulation? So the Civil Rights Act, as as we talked about, was passed in 1964. And with that, Black Americans were allowed to and were um, given the the right to go to any business uh, that they wanted. They could not be turned away. And that greatly affected the Green Book. And so Victor Green, again, the the force behind this, the man who had been a postal carrier his entire life and while still taking on this whole other project, um, (laughs) passed away in 1960. His wife Alma carried it on until 1967. But there wasn't, um, at the time, the perceived need for it anymore. And Mm -hmm. as we've talked about already, of course, there really still is. But um, but in the way that it was, in the way that it was trying to be this guide that was helping um, Black Americans during the Jim Crow era, before the Civil Rights Act, it was seen to be not as not as required as it once was. This installation is multimedia, is interactive. Um, as a curator, what are you hoping people will walk away with after they experience um, the exhibition? So I hope that people realize that making a big impact in your life, in in your community, you don't have to be a Nobel laureate. You don't have to be a college professor. Mm -hmm. This is a a fairly simple idea. We have to remember this is during the time where there's no internet. You can't look up. You don't know what the hotel down the road is who they will take in, who they will say cannot come into the hotel, say, you know, the vacancy sign, oh, we just forgot to turn on, no vacancy. This was this guidebook. Mm. It was started by an individual who had um, a full-time job, and he put all of his passion and heart into making sure that people were treated with dignity, that they could enjoy vacations with their family, and do it with the respect that they deserved. So quite a simple idea affected huge amounts of people in the way that they they would experience the world. And so I think it's um it's really a wonderful idea that 
everyone can affect change in their community. You can take steps to make positive change. And, and that's what we really encourage at the museum. Ariel Weininger is the chief curator of collections and exhibitions at the Illinois Holocaust Museum Education Center. Ariel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great. The Negro Motorist Green Book is installed at the Illinois Holocaust Museum and Education Center in Skokie, and it'll be there until April 3rd. And coming up later this month is a live staged reading of Calvin Alexander Ramsey's award-winning play, also called The Green Book. The Southside reading on March 27th is sold out, but you can still catch it at the Illinois Holocaust Museum on March 30th. Reservations are required at IllinoisHolocaustMuseum.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sam Deer for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist engineered this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. Other music on the show is from Audio Network. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. <laughs>